Hiring? With Indeed, your search is over. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. All right, another week of Catch and Shoot. Noah Kozlov on the East Coast, Adam Stanko out West in San Francisco and I thought one of the best things that came out of the draft was it's a different level of praise for David Griffin because I know now that since I worked with Griff for a year at NBA radio and anyone who has worked with a former GM in any capacity for however long he's been out of the actual league, now you've got to constantly praise the guy. So I'll continue on that. Griff, Griff said in his introductory press conference for Zion, he said, look, he's not here to be a savior of the organization, which is, which is absolutely what he should say, which is pretty much the opposite of what magic and Rob Palinka said when they told Lonzo ball that they expect his number to be up there with his. And, right. then, and then the very first question from Nick's reporters to RJ Barrett was, you know, are your shoulders strong enough to carry the weight of this? Organization? <laughs> which, which I, my first thought was, all right, do Nick's reporters sit around in a circle and look at each other and say, okay, you asked the savior question in 06. You asked it in 07. You asked it in 08. So, so is it my turn? It's kind of like the same way I look at baseball reporters when they vote on the Hall of Fame since yes. nobody's ever nobody's ever uh, you know, 100% on the ballot that they that they look at each other. Okay, all right, you're, all right, you got to be the guy this year. Like, you can't vote for Griffey this year. Like, I, I, I didn't vote for, you know, whoever the year before. So I think that's so that was what was so impressive to me, I think, with the Griff on his introductory press conference. And whenever I think of savior of organizations and oftentimes first picks, Adam, are seen as saviors. I always think of Shaq. And yes. When yes. Shaq, when Shaq got to Orlando. So they started off five and two that year. The previous year, they started off six and twenty five. Okay, so it was already off to a good start with Shaq. Right. They didn't make the playoffs, but they won, They had a 20-game improvement. They won 500. Shaq, his first two weeks with the Orlando Magic, he averaged 27, 17, and three blocks. Say if that he, again. 27, 17, and three blocks. If he, if he, did, that, if he did that today, he, he could just retire after two weeks and they'd put him in Springfield. His, th- his third game, he went 35 and 13 on 15 of 25 from the floor. So the number wow. one pick, his third game of the season, took 25 shots. And then against Philly, later that in that stretch, he went for 29 and 19. He really just owned Clarence Weatherspoon. But yes. he, went, he, went, he went 12 of 19. So franchise saviors, that's Shaq. 
and it's unfair to have anybody really on that level. Yeah, what Shaq did, well, what Shaq did when he was at, at LSU was just insane. I mean, just how dominant he was of a, as a force. And I, I'm still frustrated because I still believe that the dream team in 92 should have put Shaq on the team so that we can truly say that it was uh, the ultimate collection of talent um, for what was playing at that time. Shaq deserved a spot on that team. Christian Leitner, of course, got the college selection. And I know all the college accolades and one of the greatest college players of all time. But I just thought in terms of sheer dominance, and he went on to prove it at the NBA level, that Shaq deserved a spot on that team. He would have earned a spot or at least come awfully close to it if he had already played a, a game in the NBA. So, yeah, as a 20-year-old, Noah, 23 points, 14 rebounds, over four offensive rebounds, um, and uh, three and a half blocks a game his rookie season. It's incredible to think about what Shaq did uh, personally and then for that franchise, of course. And as we record this, we're recording on a Monday. I've thrown everybody's schedule off because I can't record on Tuesday. So we're not going to have – so this was 27 years ago today as we record this on Monday – that mm -hmm. Jack was drafted by the Magic back in, in 1992. Coming up on the podcast, we will not be talking about the award ceremony that Shaq is hosting. That's a, <laughs> that, that's, that's a professional, Adam. That's yes. a professional. Shaq Bro. is hosting the award ceremony tonight, so we're not going to be talking about it since it hasn't happened yet. And we're not going to have a guest. We're just going to talk to each other. But make sure you check out the Mike Wise Show he had a Hall of Famer on in the Kirk Gowdy Award winner, Mark Stein from the New York Times and a longtime friend, colleague of our lead producer, Bruce Bernstein. I say lead because there's eight producers. So Bruce Bernstein, mm -hmm. also Buckets, Boys and Blocks with Monica McNutt and the Pure Hoop Show with Eric Newman and NBA champion BJ Armstrong. So let's roll. Guys, explain this to me. All right, Adam, explain this to me. How do we not have a guest this week? No, I'm just kidding. Explain this to me. If not, if not Zion, and so we're going to take a look at Rookie of the Year odds coming from Odd Shark. If not Zion, where would you put your money on Rookie of the Year? Now, we talked about Kobe White a few weeks ago when your, I guess, I don't want to say your man crush was at, at its height, but it was, it was certainly, sure. certainly building. Sure. So I'm going to read you some of these. So Zion's at minus 250. So that means you mm -hmm. got to bet 250 to win 100. John Morant is plus 500. So bet 100, win 500. RJ Barrett plus 600. Darius Garland plus 1,200. Don't worry, I haven't said Kobe White's name yet. DeAndre Hunter plus 1,800. Jared Culver plus 2,500. Michael yep. Porter Jr. Mm -hmm. plus 3,000 coming back with the Denver Nuggets. And then there's Cam Reddish, Kobe White, Jackson Hayes at plus 3,500. And if you want to go down to Bull Bull, that's uh, plus 8,500. Well, look, first of all, I'm going to say the race is John Morant's to lose. I think that, and, and I say that with Zion on the board. I'm not even saying if Zion doesn't win it. The hype is going to be there. And I think in a way that's going to hurt Zion's case because you brought it up at the top of the show. Unless you're putting up 27 and 17 and three blocks, I think that's what you said first two weeks of the season. Um, I think then it's going to be a really difficult spot. I think that there's going to be, I 
I think there's going to be moments where it looks like people are, are down on Zion because A, the hype train is so high, and B, he's coming in a little overweight. And and we know already what he is athletically. I mean, Don McLean talked about it on the podcast, 46-inch vertical. Um, and we know what he can do. And I love him as a teammate. I love his attitude coming in. I love what Griff is building around him. But a lot of young players, a lot of inexperience on that roster. You look at John Morant, he's getting – the keys handed to him from day one. And so if you just want to go back last year with Luka Doncic and, and Trey Young, the ability to find people, have exciting highlight reels, sure, but not just the dunks, the idea that his assist numbers are going to be great. He's going to score first player we've ever seen, 20 and 10 at the college level. This guy's passing ability, his vision is going to be crazy. So I think he's the favorite. And I think you go beyond that. Of course, I love Kobe White. We talked about that. He's in a favorable position with the Bulls. And then um, I think you bring up a really interesting name in, in Michael Porter Jr. Um, you know, apparently we're, we're hearing reports now that um, Michael Porter Jr. looks like the player he was before he was hurt. Now, obviously, he had back surgery and there's all this stuff that's gone on. But the Nuggets president of basketball operations, Tim Conley, says that He's uh, been fully cleared for months, and he resembles the player we saw prior to all the injuries. If that's true, and Michael Porter Jr. is the guy that people were raving about when he was a high school player coming out of Washington, then he could pull off what Ben Simmons pulled off and cause another controversy, and people can call him not a rookie when he really is a rookie. Yeah, so at plus 500, that's it's great value. I don't think you're going to get it. I don't think you're going to get any better odds than that. Darius Garland plus 1,200. I'm interested to see how Colin Sexton handles being out there with Darius Garland, but I kind of like that Darius Garland plus 1,200. I think Kobe mm-hmm. White would be a like a Zach Levine injury away from being a Rookie of the Year candidate, I'd say. Um, I also kind of think Tyler Hero is kind of interesting. interesting. Tyler Hero is interesting. And that's a plus, that's a plus 6,000, but I think that would be – that's – kind of foolish yeah tyler hero is uh is a really interesting one and you know tyler hero playing for the heat just goes to show how crazy the the draft is um you know when this took place cam johnson who by the way uh i don't even think you read i don't even think he's on this list uh and what was he no, the 11th I, got, pick? I got i got i got all the way down to kevin porter and your guy from Stanford, KZ Akpala, at plus 12,500. Yep. And Cam Johnson is not on here. Cam Johnson, people hadn't even thought about uh, being a lottery pick. Somehow ends up there, 23 years old, 16.9 points a game last year at North Carolina, the pit transfer. And what was interesting was it threw off the entire draft. And we can talk about all this stuff later. But what what is interesting, though, about Tyler Hero is that all of a sudden – um, heroes available for the Heat. The Heat had a lot of interest in Casey Akpala. So they were really considering taking Akpala at 13, but had said, if we take him and it gets screwed up, then we're going to get crushed for it. And all of a sudden, Hero sort of falls in their laps. And then Akpala uh, is their second round pick. So they ended up getting both the guys that they wanted. One guy they didn't expect to get and another guy who fell on their lap. And, uh, and I mean, uh, one guy they didn't expect to get and then another guy that they wanted at 13, they were able to get in the second round. So, Noah, explain this to me. How did the Masai Ujiri story get so out of hand so quickly? 
Oh, this is bananas. So Sergeant Ray Kelly, he's the Alameda County Sheriff's Office spokesperson, said that Masai, quote, presented his credentials. I, I said, quote, too early. Presented his credentials in a, quote, very threatening way. I'm reading from blogto.com, which is a, uh, a Toronto website. And right. so, so putting, showing your credentials in a threatening way, I, I don't, I don't even know what that would involve. Like, even if you put your credentials directly in front of someone's face, is there, <laughs> is like, like a, a fist going to come through the credential? What are we like at some sort of circus? I, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't know what the threatening way is. And then, but, you know, if you only see the, um, you know, oftentimes you see the aftermath of things. It's like in, you know, in, in sports or what you tell your kids, like, look, the, the one who retaliates is going to be the one who is always, is always gets in trouble, usually. Um, and then there's a report that uh, in that same story that Masai was holding credentials, but not the correct court access. But yet <laughs> there were, but yet there were a lot of, there were a lot of players, or not a lot of players. There are a lot of um, uh, people in the media, and, and and of course we're talking about the uh, Masai when he Masai Jiri Raptors GM when he went to get on the court after the, the Raptors won the championship at Oracle, and and there was a a fight with a security guard, and the security guard is saying that Masai punched him, and now yeah. he's on now he's on medical leave. But there are other reporters, like I, I heard uh, Ryan Russillo even say that, uh, and I, I don't know if it was the same guy, but somebody else. Uh, maybe it was another security guard who said that the security guard was very aggressive with with him, and photographers had said the same thing. It, I mean, it's it's something that seems to be like if there's one video of it, there could be there could be others. Um, I just have it a very very difficult time to believe that Masai Ujiri Raptors GM would punch a security guard would punch a security guard when he when punch. he has security when he has security with him. Yes. And first, there's a bunch to this story that I found odd right away. First of all, how many guys are possibly wearing suits at the game trying to get on the court? There can't be many. Almost all of those fans had like the yellow T-shirts on at the time. So you don't see that. Secondly, you know Masai was going to be in the happiest mood of all time. The guy just assembled this roster, took a ton of heat for what he had put together in the trades, obviously Kawhi and Danny Green, and then also the midseason deal for Gasol, getting rid of Dwayne Casey. He does all these perfect puzzle pieces that come together and fit, and they win in six. He wants to get on the court, and all of a sudden he's going to get into it with a security guard. Come on. That story seemed, everything from the beginning seemed way off. Then the fact that we didn't have video of it. The other thing about this is, that's crazy, Noah. How about the idea, too, that, like, you've seen this as well. You go to games, and you see, like, the security guards, like, feel like they're part of the team. Like, I think there's a very real part of this that, and, and this is just my speculation, but that this security guard was rooting on the Warriors and was ticked off that they lost. Like, I've seen so many security guards at Warriors games that are dancing along at the, at the songs, at the halftimes, and, like, and they're excited and jumping up and down when guys are making threes for the Warriors. It's a real thing. They feel like they're fans and part of the team. And when that starts happening and your team just lost, I know there's a lot of Warrior fans that wanted to get into it with someone, especially someone from the Raptors. And if you're a security guard, there's nothing more – well, a, an officer, right? I mean, there's nothing more disgusting to me than uh, – this story to me, this guy gets into it. We assume if this guy – 
initiated it and engaged with Masai Ujiri, who just won an NBA championship, I think this is worse than Mark Stevens pushing Kyle Lowry, which also, of course, there's no place for it. He's an owner. It's disgusting. But I think this is even worse because those guys are there to protect you. And if this guy is getting into it with someone and you feel like it's racial, like this really, this story bothers me a lot. All right, Adam, explain this to me. NBA free agents prioritize winning over everything. No, we've talked about this, my thought on this, that, that in today's day and age that players chase legacy. It's, it's not even rings. We went through the ring chasing phase and now it's legacy. And now what's interesting is that the, it is about winning and where can I win and what's also going to put me in the best light if I do so. And by the way, with the Warriors situation the way that it is right now, it's fair game that anyone else could win the title assuming they get the right collection of players in there. So, yeah, I, I think ultimately this this question is about Kawhi Leonard, though, to me. Like, if you're Kawhi Leonard, you have a better chance of winning as a Clipper or as a Raptor. And so all these other things that people want to assume that, oh, it's about marketing or it's about this guy really loves it there or he's embraced by the city. I think these guys are thinking about where can I win now? Where can I win long term? And, it, and certainly it's no longer about that difference the money makes, although in Kemba Walker's case, the difference between 220 million staying in Charlotte and 140 million leaving is an awful lot of money. And I think he ends up staying. But for everyone else, I do believe that most NBA free agents are prioritizing winning over everything. You? Yeah. So then why would, so I'm not going to put a, make a blanket statement on for all free agents. I mean, the, but when we talk about free agents, we talk about the, the highest of high level ones, like the the A free agents and maybe even the A minus guys. But then why would Kawhi even say, or Kawhi hasn't said, but then why would Kawhi even consider having a meeting with the New York Knicks? Like the Knicks, Knicks have won one playoff series in two decades. And if it's about if it's about where you can win, there are how many other franchises where you would go to first before deciding to yeah sure i'll sit down with the knicks i don't but i don't blame any free agent from having any conversation with anybody i mean i think i think these guys should talk to as many teams as possible just to even if it's just a matter of education and get the lay of the land of of the league and how different organizations do things and if you want and if, and if you want legacy yeah going to going to the knicks would do it but oh yeah but you got to also think, all right, what's realistic? Like, yeah, you can, you can think about and your ego can drive you there, but are you actually going, are you actually going to win there? And, and when you talk about that, Noah, too, I think it's the idea. I think, I mean, certainly the window has opened with the warrior situation right now, which it's sped it up for everyone, right? We, we kept talking for a while about, okay, are teams going and players going to wait out this warriors process and wait till these guys get a few years older before they jump on the opportunity to go all in and win now. And it all got sped up with the Durant and, and Clay Thompson injuries and, and Durant's probable eventual departure. I, I, I think so. A lot of people here in the Bay Area believe that Durant's going to stay. I don't, I don't share that thought. I, I think he's got even more reason to leave. Um, but I do think now that with this window is, is opened up, it's, it's yes next year. But I think a lot of these guys also are looking at long-term over everything else and and what has the Knicks 
recent history told you that they're not going to be in position year after year to stay competitive because I believe it's a it's an executive's league and you look around and whether it's RC Buford or um, uh, Bob Myers or Daryl Morey or uh, Danny Ainge, I feel like and of course Masai Ujiri is in that that certainly the same class. David Griffin. Like the the elite executives seem to get the better of the other executives. I want to be in a place where I know that the that the team has structured a plan that's going to make them successful, not just next year, not just going all in next season, but for the next few years. And they're going to continue to build around a shared belief of of winning. And I think there's only a handful of guys and executives that are that are capable even of doing that. So then it would make me think then how come the the biggest of free agents haven't gone to San Antonio. I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge did it, but he was, you know, he wasn't an A plus free agent. And if, you know, the Pelicans are building what seems to be on paper, I think, I think the Pelicans are a very interesting spot. Yep. As a case study. And I also think the Atlanta Hawks are a really interesting spot for a case study because players in the past, players in the past have told me that we love Atlanta, but we don't want to live in Atlanta. Players love going to Atlanta. Yes. They love they love visiting Atlanta. But I mean players have players have said to me, um, yeah, I can't play for the Hawks. I'm married. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I, I believe it. I believe it. I and you know, it's it's interesting because where a guy lives, a lot of these guys just live in Southern California at this point anyway, in the offseason. The LeBron case going back to the Lakers or going to the Lakers was interesting because he's got his home in Cleveland. So it's almost the reverse. You know, he could spend his off seasons, his summers in Cleveland, go back home and then, you know, spend his his basketball season in L.A. So it's sort of the reverse. But most guys live in Southern California anyway. Um, so I, it, it is interesting, but I, but it also begs the question, Noah, like who has the monopoly on bringing in free agents, period. Like we talked, you just, you just mentioned it with the Spurs and no one really has had a track record and you go through, I mean, obviously you go back to the Celtics when they put together their big three, boom, they brought in all these guys. Then the heat brought in their collection of guys um, and certainly had a run of free agents that were all willing to sign for uh, for veterans contracts and stuff. But you go through the years now, and I, I don't know that there's one destination that you can point to that's just automatic that they are going to get free agents. The Lakers, of course, come up every single time, but I don't know that there's any other one that you can point to and say those guys consistently get free agents that that they want. The tier. Right. So take a look at all right. So I'm just gonna look at the maybe the the guys that here, let me bring it up. All right. The the scoring leaders in the playoffs. Okay. So mm-hmm. um KD. All right, well, he that was that was the exception, was the KD signing with Oklahoma City. James Harden got to or leaving Oklahoma City signing with the Warriors. James Harden got to Houston. Uh, through a trade and hasn't left. Kawhi went to Toronto through a trade, hasn't left. Paul George went to Oklahoma City and then shocked everybody, and then he stayed. So he yep. had an option, and then he stayed. Steph Curry drafted by Golden State. Damian Lillard drafted by Portland. Giannis drafted by Milwaukee. Jokic drafted by Denver. Um, CJ McCollum drafted by Portland. Blake Griffin, <laughs> great Blake Griffin, part of a trade uh, where he ends up in Detroit. Um, Russell Westbrook, now we're on number 11. Russell Westbrook drafted by OKC. DeMar DeRozan was a trade to San Antonio. 
So there's there's your top twelve. There's your top twelve scores, and a lot of those guys are premier players, premier players in the NBA, and haven't gone to any sort of crazy destination um, that we might think of. And look at what Paul George did staying in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I, I think that's such a great way to view it. Is that these A plus free agents to say that they're automatically going to go one place or another is and is interesting. And then you bring it up the Paul George thing, and we've already now seen it. By the way, how about you know Chris Paul was um, an interesting case too because Chris Paul was on the final year of his deal. You know, last summer was or we we saw the the rental cases, right? It was all mm-hmm. the rentals, the one year rentals, the same year. JJ Redick. Chris Paul, um, and uh, and and you just mentioned it um, with who you were just talking about, Paul George. All those guys, and all three of those guys ended up staying in their current destinations. The other thing people don't think about is NBA players are like the rest of us. They 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 don't necessarily love change. Like maybe they want to get out of their given situation, but it's also comfortable to be where you're at. You know, you have to now mesh with new teammates, coaching staff, training staff. There's a lot that goes into making a move. So free agency isn't always just about I'm going to leave, which just makes this Kawhi Leonard thing so fascinating. So now explain this to me. Former players cannot be reporters. All right. So this is interesting, Adam. So this is becoming a little bit of a trend. And Kendrick Perkins has been taking center stage here during the during the playoffs and Jalen Rose has kind of been on this bit for a little bit so Perk I mean I remember when I'd hear Perk speak during his career I thought like I I just need to hear more from Perk and then in I think it was 2017 if you haven't listened it was an old Woj podcast I don't even think he was at ESPN yet and it is it's a great hour sit down with Perk like Perk drove when he was he got to I think the Celtics maybe Celtics draft perk like they did. And he drove from Mississippi up to uh up to Boston. Uh it's a, it's a great there's it Burke's a great storyteller that way. But now, you know, he's on every single different outlet saying things about KD. So what are we what are we supposed to believe? If there was a if it was a reporter, a guy who was an actual reporter doing that, every single player would be boycotting the media. Like, how is this guy going to go on this show and say this, and then this show to say this? Oh, but he's a, you know, it's part of the brotherhood. Part of the brotherhood. Go do this. this, this. Like, so I, I find Perk entertaining, but I now can't take anything he says. I can't take anything he says seriously. Oh, yeah. And same with, and, and same with Jalen Rose. So Jalen will say on his show, and I, I consume a lot of NBA media. So Jalen on, on Jalen and Jacoby's podcast, right, which I, I listened to from the beginning. And it's entertaining. But Jalen will say, like, oh, I said it here first. I said it here. I said it here first. <laughs> Jalen Rose is also the one who said that Michael Jordan two years ago was going to actually play for the Hornets. Okay? So, so you can't <laughs> well, just – He said it first. He did say it first. Right, you, you can't sure. – right, he said it first. You can't, you can't just pick and choose. And if, if you want to be a reporter, if you want to be a reporter, then – You've got to say at a place like ESPN, then your bosses need to then treat you like a reporter. And you then need to be okay with putting it on the bottom line. Jalen Rose reports that. You can't just say something and then if it happens, then say, well, I said that, but then no one believed. Okay, well, now you're insulting your own employer, if whether they see it that way or not. 
So you got to get everybody, you got to get everybody on the same page. You can't just say something, but then not be willing to either tweet it or put it in writing or have it on the bottom line or have like, if Jalen Rose says something on one of the ESPN shows, then it's got to become a topic then for all the other shows, not just a, one of their reporters who actually says something, then it gets run on all the other programming. No, when I worked at ESPN, I know there was a lot of um, importance placed on the idea that that people fell into boxes. So you were in a category. If you were an NBA analyst, you'd be that way. If you were a um, insider, then you'd be labeled as an insider. Um, you know, a commentator is something different. And and really, at the time, I was a little bit confused by it. And, you, you know, you mentioned Ryan Rosillo earlier in the show. I remember at one point, Rosillo had some, you know, he was a radio host and he worked with SVP and we, we, we worked together. And Ryan had information about something that was going to go down. I don't know whether it was a free agency signing or a trade, but he had some breaking news. And so he went to the desk with it and basically was told as it went up the as it went up uh you know flagpole that he couldn't break the news himself he could talk about things and he could say i'm hearing this whatever but they weren't going to put it out as a statement of fact of ryan rosilla reports because he didn't fall into that category and i remember he was really frustrated with it at the time because he's like look i'm talking to these guys i have this information but what's significant is there are there are channels you have to go through you know, I, I have a lot of these conversations with, you know, friend of the podcast, Dave McMiniman. And, and you know, Dave will tell you, if he's breaking a story, he has to have at least two sources in order to break a new story. And if he's going to confirm a story, he needs one source. And by the way, he usually has more than two or more than one. It's just that those that's the protocol. And the point being, like, there's a process to all of this. And so when these guys come out and say what they're saying, yes, I'm sure they feel like they're trusted people. And maybe they're talking to Durant or maybe they're talking to Durant's agent where most of the people get all their information from anyway at this day and age. But like you you go through this whole thing and, and you you feel like you have information, but there's a process that goes through. And it's it is somewhat insulting to people in the, the industry because you can say it willy nilly. And I think your point that you made earlier was just brilliant. The idea that if Mark Stein was going around each day, like, you know what, I think this, or I'm hearing this for sure, this is going to happen. And like, and then switching it up the next day, we'd be crushing him for it. Mm -hmm. But if it's mm -hmm. a former player, mm, it's just him. He's just sort of or not, or, or not like the former players feel like I get the sense that they can say certain things and then just not be held accountable. Well, I'm not a reporter. Absolutely. No, I, look, I mean, I heard this. I heard this. But if a reporter then said, well, if a reporter gets something wrong, say, well, I heard this. Well, you never played the game. So who are you talking to? Bingo. It's, it's a, it is a um, I think I think it's I think we're headed somewhere ugly with it, to be honest with you. All right. Let's roll out the spread. Time to hit the spread. The spread today is all draft because you are you're the draft guy. And you've been looking at prospects since before you had hair underneath your armpits. So Glad let's you said go my with armpits. Dang. Come on. It's a family program. Family program. It is now. Yeah, we've got of our uh, we've got grandparents that are producers here. We 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 gotta keep this uh is that true? Keep this pretty clean. 
No, I'm just insulting the producers. Oh. Oh. So I was about to say congratulations, with... Bruce. I had no idea. Mazel tov. Let's go with uh, let let let's start with on the the draft topics. It was something that you told me earlier this week that that you think that this draft has more talent than most do. Do you usually do you usually feel that way, or was this draft something different? Uh. I I do I do somewhat feel that way typically. I I think people are quick to generalize and say, "Oh, it's an awful draft." This is a great draft, and obviously, a lot depends on who's at the top. But I, for some reason, I was hearing a ton um, this week about people saying that how terrible this draft was. I multiple like people three, reached like out to me. Draft. Yeah, it's a three-player draft, and that's it. It's like. No, those are the three players that we're hearing about, and I'm not even one that to go into the camp that that third player, R.J. Barrett, is is the third best player in this is draft as we've as we've discussed. I think what it is is it's there's a lot of confusion uh, based upon the talent that that we're seeing, but I think there's a bunch of really talented guys that are that are coming in. I think Jarrett Culver is going to be immediately impactful um, when he starts with the, the T Wolves. We we've obviously talked about Kobe White. Um, a guy like Jackson Hayes is is totally unique in the sense that his junior year of high school, he's playing six minutes a game, and now Jackson Hayes is, you know, averaging ten and five as a freshman, and then becomes a top ten pick. Uh, Saku Demboya, a lot of people really like uh, the the French kid who, who's got some size, athletic ability. He knows how to play. Younger player too. It's, there's talent there. Um, and then, you know, a whole bunch of the Kentucky kids, which obviously every year have have some talent. And you go even further down the list, and there's some bigs that are really interesting to me. Fiondu Cabangeli from Florida State, Bruno Fernando from Maryland. The point in general terms is that I think that there are a bunch of guys in this draft that are going to – and we didn't even say Darius Garland, of course. There's a bunch of guys in this draft that I think are going to be impactful players for the next few years. And for some reason, I think because guys don't feel like they know this class as well. And I think that's sort of been the trend over the last few years is that people that watch college basketball or maybe just casual fans of college basketball because they're NBA guys don't know these guys as well. So I think it's quick to then jump down. Oh, well, then the draft isn't isn't that great. And I know some big time talent evaluators feel that way, too. I just think there is talent. We just don't know who the guys are that are going to be the standouts because a lot of guys are close. And so a lot of it's going to depend on, you know the work ethic really of these players. Yeah. And I always, I, I like going back and looking at the um, winners and losers from yes. previous, from, from previous drafts. And, and I, look, I just think it's, I just think it's entertaining. And I, and I did it this week. I was on Friday night on NBA radio on Sirius with Ryan McDonough, who spent mm-hmm. a decade in the Celtics front office and then was GM of the Suns for five years. And here's one from, from sports illustrated in 2013. This, this to me, I think, is an all-timer. It's hard to imagine a greater joy than the one Sacramento's diehards felt when the Kings were saved from relocation, seemingly at the last possible moment. Getting a top three talent and a possible future all-star in Ben McLemore at number seven should rank right up there, too. So, as, so after, <laughs> after Ben McLemore hadn't been in the league in a few years, okay? And this was 2013. Right. So what are we, so what are we doing here with trying to even, at this point, say, like, project i know i know we need to project players and and i give i think mike schmitz and jonathan gavoni do a do a great job with player evaluations for where they are not like going not jumping the shark by saying that 
Rui Hachimura is a, as Chauncey said, a young, young, young Kawhi Leonard. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like some of those right. were, who did he refer to as? Uh, <laughs> I don't understand Chicago, that at all. I, I saw Chicago Bulls, Jalen Rose for RJ Barrett. Like, I, I don't understand what some of these, what some of these comps are. And I think, I think Gavoni and Schmitz, who did it forever at Draft Express and at ESPN, they yep. they put in the work to see these guys, and for years, it's not just you know you pop on the TV and yes. and, t- and take a look. So I, I don't I think it's almost unfair to do, and I, and I know we need to at some point. But the winners, but the whole winners and losers thing. Here's another one: was the uh, from Andrew Sharp in Grantland in 2015. Pacers came into this draft with dreams of stealing Willie Cauley-Stein, a big man who would have allowed them to seamlessly transition from Roy Hibbert's rim protection to something a little more um, undead. Sacramento killed that dream. So next option, campaign, a quick point guard who could help speed things up and inject some life into their offense. Nope. They went with Miles Turner, a center with plenty of upside, but someone who will probably take a few years to get there, assuming he ever does. For a team that has pieces to get competitive right away, that's a bummer. And I know this sounds like old takes, old, old takes exposed. Right. But you deserve to have old takes exposed when, when, uh, um, unless you are completely immersed in this stuff, like you are, like Gavoni is, like Schmitz is. Uh, I, I just, I, I can't take it. I can't take it seriously. So when you hear the, it's a three-player draft. Uh, I don't know. Like back in 2012, before that draft, did they say that six of those guys were going to be all stars? Over, you know, in the next few years with Anthony Davis, Andre Drummond, Bradley Beal, Draymond, and certainly yep. Damian Lillard, Chris Middleton. No. Yep. No. Yep. And, and, in, and, in, and in some drafts, it's, uh, you know, seen as, oh, this is, you know, this is a really good draft, but, but, but it doesn't, but it doesn't turn out that way. Back in like 2011, the, that was the big Pac-12 draft with Vooch and uh, Isaiah Thomas and Clay Thompson. Well, going, going into that draft was, uh, look, we got. You know, three three all stars coming out of the Pac Ten. I'll, I'll I'll tell you, or or even Kawhi. You know. Yeah, I I know. I think a lot of what you hit on is is so accurate. I mean, look at two years ago. All we heard was that it was a two player draft with uh, Markel Fultz and uh, and Lonzo Ball. And I was trying to tell people, and I have as as uh, the young ones say, receipts to prove it. Like you go back, I, I didn't feel like that was a two-player draft, certainly because I saw those guys a ton playing in the in the Pac-12 and loved some of the other players that were available that year, including, you know, liking Jason Tatum. Um, but it's it's interesting as you go because guys sort of fall in love with what is the narrative is surrounding a particular draft. And I think that's ridiculous. And the other part is we the, the unknowns – the great unknowns really are what's a guy's work ethic going to be when he gets to the league. Cause that can also change. Okay. And also what kind of support system is going to be around him. And then what kind of opportunities are going to be in front of them. Someone asked me the other day about, you know, if Dwayne Wade was drafted instead of um, uh, Darko and what would have happened to him and how good the Pistons could have been sustaining their excellence. They would have added this incredible talent, this prop 48 guy who had left after his junior year at Marquette, you know, triple double, you know, leading Marquette final four, all that stuff. But the thing was Larry Brown was coaching the Pistons at the time. Larry Brown didn't play rookies. So he was going to crush the spirit of any rookie. Could a Carmelo or Dwayne Wade have overcome that very possibly, 
But I don't think year one, they would have played as much as we would have expected. And who knows what happens to their confidence at that time. So sometimes that plays into it. The other thing that I think is interesting is that when you go back and look at drafts in the early 90s, and I know you and I are both sort of nerds in this way. We love to go back and look at how things played out historically. Don't call me a nerd. Don't call oh, me a I, I meant that of the highest um, the highest level. The, but Noah, a guy, I, use, I say this about guys in the 90s. You would be able to look at players that were coming in in the, in the early 90s and guys that were on stack teams that we knew a ton about, uh, evaluators had a ton of time to see them, not in general, because evaluators see them now. They just see them mostly in high school and in AU and in, um, you know, the all-star camp circuit, all of those things. But they saw them then at the college level for four years, three years, maybe, but that was even an exception. And so guys would come out and I tell people this all the time, look at the statistics of players that were drafted in the nineties. A lot of the big hot name rookies, these guys would have some of their highest scoring seasons, their rookie year, Lionel Simmons. Okay. A rookie in 1990, 91, 18 points a game. His next year, 17.1. Next year, 17.9. Next year, 15.1. Next year, 5.6. Next year, 4.6. And yeah, but the point being is that a lot of these guys, in a way, came close to peaking, but also were asked to become significant contributors from the start, and not because there was some three plus one rookie deal that was hanging over the executives heads or the PR pressure. It was, Oh, we need to plug this guy in from day one. He knows how to play. Some of these guys like a Jackson Hayes doesn't even know how to play yet. Guys are going to have to teach him how to play year one and year two. So to say that we, that the talent isn't there, that we know who the talent is. I mean, you know, guys playing in bad systems at the college level or aren't necessarily getting the true training they should get, be getting, it's all sort of flipped right now. So I'm, I'm definitely against that. The other thing that I think is interesting, though, is it's remarkable just how few second rounders pan out nowadays. And real quick, Adam, I had a conversation last year with, with David Griffin when he, wasn't, when he was part of us at NBA Radio, now, of course, running the Pelicans, about the league lowering the age limit. And I, because there seemed to be this popular sentiment that, that GMs didn't want to be having to go into high school gyms again. And so I brought it up to Griff. He said, no, that's, I want to be in, in high school gyms again, because then we actually get to see these kids for a lot longer than just the, you know, 30 games, their freshman year in college. Like if we're, if we're allowed in high school gyms again, then that means I can go look at them when they're a sophomore in high school or junior in high school, or, you know, certainly a senior. And then if they say, say they spend two years in college now, if I started watching him as a senior in high school, now I've got three years of data and intel on this kid. So I think, I think, I think, that's, I think that's something to keep in mind. So, Noah, the other thing is that I don't think people realize, and you talk about it with Grip, but just how much data in general these teams are asked to accumulate. Um, I, I talked to a few guys with NBA teams, and it's remarkable. Anything I say to them, they'll basically write down, like, oh, I was at this workout. This guy seemed to be able to do that. Boom, it's written down because they want knowledge of the entire draft process for one, but they also want to know everything they can about a guy. And, you know, post-draft, I actually had a long conversation with uh, Art Don McLean, and he uh, had some interesting things to say in terms of, he said, first of all, NBA teams are now showing that even three or four years ago, if you could play, they would take you. Now, 
teams are just going strictly based upon guys that they do not want to get involved with character issues for. And it's like the old NFL thing. Um, I remember being at ESPN talking to Bill Polian about it. He said, if a guy had a character concern or an injury concern, that was the risk was high enough. They wouldn't lower him on their draft board. They just took him off and said, we're just eliminating that, eliminating that altogether. And so question marks about whether bowl bowl, you know, I don't think it's even the injury. I think they're worried about whether he actually is passionate about the game of basketball. That's why he slid. Other guys we saw slide because teams didn't necessarily like what they had from a character perspective. And so guys are generating that information, taking them off their boards. And I think that's really also what's changed maybe the success of second round picks. When you look, those lists of like, look at all these great second round picks based upon all the information, based upon all the international scouting that's being done. There aren't a lot of misses anymore in terms of guys being second round picks. There's still the occasional one. But if you look, for the most part, teams have a pretty good idea of at least who should be in the first round and who shouldn't. I think the idea that first round contracts are guaranteed and second round contracts aren't probably has a big part in that. I think we're about to go off the rails. All right, so we'll go off the rails here, and we'll, we'll always, as always, we'll close with something that's been entertaining us. But you you teased a story this week, Adam, about an intense, as intense of a poker invitation as <laughs> you've ever had, and and, that, and that's all you told me. So I'm going to be hearing this story for the first time. Uh, yeah, well, I, I was uh, hanging out with a guy, a neighbor this this weekend. He had asked me to to play in a poker game. And I, I told him at the time that I, I couldn't play. So he asked me again when I saw him this weekend. And then I don't know if this was his sell as to why I should do it or caution if I did do it. But he then informs me that the leader of this poker group of a guys, uh, there's like 20 to 25 guys, I guess, that play. Um, and it's my friend, David, who's a fan of the podcast. So he's, he's probably listening, but what up? Uh, he told me that the guy that heads this thing up put together a 50-50 page PowerPoint presentation about all the rules of their particular poker night and all the ways the game should be played, the etiquette, um, the equipment that's gone into it and what's been paid for, uh, this entire display. 50 pages. And when I tell you it's a PowerPoint presentation, Noah, I'm talking about this presentation, this deck, if you will, is the most impressive thing you've ever seen. The graphics are incredible. It comes complete with photos. Uh, There is is multiple pages about the golden rule, how if you show up that you need to make sure there's a designated driver for you or you take an Uber or a Lyft because people will be drinking. Uh, Who's allowed to play in this game? Who's not? If you... um, how those rules apply, that this is not going to be some underground, you know, mafioso game. This is just for guys that are friends and a friend of a friend. Um, And then it goes into, I think, details about the rules. So there's no disagreement whatsoever. No, I I combed through this thing and it was the most impressive presentation I've ever seen. And to think that it was for a poker game that guys are just getting together and playing like blew my mind. This was remarkable stuff. Um, 50 pages. Wait, wait, wait. So, so hold on, hold on. be honest here. Does this make you want to play or just make you want to meet this guy? Uh, the latter. Okay. The latter. Uh, I definitely, I, first of all, I have to meet this guy and I think he could 
probably do some uh, great things to help us promote this this podcast. Um, you know, this guy is on top of his game. We got to bring him into the to the mix here. But I, I as far as playing in the game, uh, this might be my way of telling David that I'm I'm probably not going to play. I, I don't know that I don't I want that kind of involvement in my life. I already have my list from my wife of things I have to do. I already have things from from. Uh, my my uh, employment. I have things on this podcast that I have to do. Noah, Bruce Bernstein, Scott Turkin are extremely demanding. I I don't know that I need a fifty page PowerPoint presentation to tell me whether to fold or not. Yeah, this is yeah that that's intense. I, and I'm I also not really a poker guy. I don't think too. you need that in your life. I don't I don't I don't think I don't think you need that in your life. I thought I thought there were are there any are there any slides with pictures of people who it's almost like uh like on the tsa list like these people are not allowed in oh are there any slides of those i'll have to check it out i got about 10 deep in the in the slides and i just handed it because it was on my buddy's phone so i handed him back his, his yeah phone. you can't you can't be looking at a 50 slide point on someone's <laughs> no. phone no and also when you're sliding through a presentation you also don't want to accidentally go through somebody's pictures i didn't want to you know like yeah you screw true. that up and um, you know, I'm not good with an Android, but, but I was going through and I, I'll tell dude. you, it was Android. an impressive collect. This guy must've spent no lot. There's no way this person spent less than at least eight to 10 hours. There, at minimum, it would have been impossible to do this without spending at least eight to 10 hours on it. That's awesome. All right. What's, Easy. uh, what's, what's entertaining you this week aside from, uh, 50 slide. PowerPoint presentations. You know, it's weird. I, I, we, my wife's been out of town this weekend, so it was, it was a lot of just uh, wrangling. We've, we've talked about that in the past of just getting everybody together. But I did hear a fascinating interview this week. I thought on Howard Stern with, with Bill Maher, and I thought that the interview that the two of them did. I'm, a, I'm a sucker for interviews. I know I've talked about mm -hmm. um, a Howard Stern interview in the past, but, but this one with Bill Maher in particular was, uh, was pretty good. So I, I'd recommend if people could find it. Um, just how open they were with each other, and um, they have a longstanding history. I know Scott Turkin's a, one of our producers' fellow Howard Stern fan, but but I thought the interview was was fascinating. I recommend people check that out. What about for you? All right, I've been watching New Girl. All right, so okay, <laughs> so, I hate to laugh. I hate to laugh because I know that's the instinct, right? So, so New Girl came out in 2011, and uh, and I never never watched it. And then I was on a, an airplane. I don't know, maybe like a month or two ago, and they had the first three episodes, okay, which is which is great that you can watch something from the beginning. So I watched Love the first it. three episodes, and I was I was laughing out loud on an airplane. It's at the writing and the delivery of stuff was terrific. So it's Zoe Deschanel. I'm not going to give you the whole plot, but like Zoe Deschanel, uh, Max Greenfield, Jake Johnson's in it. Hannah Simone is the be is the best friend. And then as you're watching, it's like wow. Like, I recognize a lot of these um, other bit characters like um, Dermot Mulroney, the uh, who was from my best friend's wedding, who was the uh, the guy with Julia Roberts, uh, oh, Rob, yeah. Rob sure. Reiner, Jamie Lee Curtis, um, Rob Riggle was in an episode. Uh, wow. You ever watch um, uh, uh, Grace and Frankie on Netflix? I'm really giving you an insight into what I watch. It's with. Uh, not Jane Fonda. Uh, Jane Fonda show, right? Exactly. Uh, Brianna, yes. who is Brianna, who is uh, Jane Fonda's daughter in the show. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, she's she's in it. She's in it a bunch. So great other bit characters, and it is, it's a it's a riot. 
and they're half hour episodes. I've watched all of season one, which is 26 episodes. Uh, I'm 10, I'm 10 episodes into season two. And I've, I've just enjoyed the writing and the delivery. And I've enjoyed laughing out loud three or four times an episode. Wow. Three or four yeah. times an episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny, man. It's okay. funny. So yeah. new girl, highly recommended. Yeah. It's funny. Um, okay. Interesting. I'm, I'm yeah. curious to see what your, uh, but like Netflix recommends for you, you know, with uh, with your shows when it's Grace and Frankie. And although I guess New Girl's not on. Yeah, Netflix, and I've been right? getting a lot of ads for Rosé. So uh, maybe maybe that says what I should. <laughs> I should be spending my summer. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Should we do yeah. the thank yous? Not afraid. Uh, yeah, you can do it. Oh, OK. Well, yeah. Bruce Bernstein, Scott Turkin, super producers on the podcast and then everyone else that's part of the Pure Hoops media team. Um, and of course, all the other podcasts, Noah, uh, Pop Quiz, can you name the other podcasts that we have? Sure. Um, the Mike Wise show this week, I thought 20 minutes in that Mike was actually going to die because he had a he had a <laughs> coughing fit. Um, so what I need to do is I got to take a picture of a keyboard and send Mike where the mute button is. Uh, OK. Yeah, I, I thought, I, and but Mark Stein just kept going, but Mark never even asked him once. Like, uh, are you all right? Are you, are you all right? Mark's a busy guy. He doesn't he have just, time to yeah. ask. Mark, Mark just Mark. battled, it and, uh, and I guess uh, I guess Wise did too. Buckets, boards, and blocks. Mon Monica McNutt that comes out on Thursdays. Mike Wise show is on Mondays, and then uh, Pure Hoop Show with uh, Eric Newman and PJ Armstrong. Ha! How you like that? I think you did it. All right, pal. This is enjoyable. Thanks so much. All right. And uh, thanks, everyone listening. And subscribe, download, tell a friend, right? The whole deal. Right. Rate, review, subscribe. It takes 30 seconds to do all of that. And then share it with friends. And we'll talk to you next week. And you might become a producer on the show. Thanks, buddy. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.